we are continuing our uh, series on uh, working through the book of First Timothy. And so Kevin is going to read for us our uh, passage for this morning. Elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well, especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating as it treads out the grain. And in another place, those who work deserve their pay. Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. I solemnly command you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the highest angels to obey these instructions without taking sides or showing favoritism to anyone. Never be in a hurry about appointing a church leader. Do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't drink only water. You ought to drink a little wine for the sake of your stomach because you are sick so often. Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. In the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious, and the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. Thank you, Kevin, for the reading of God's Word this morning. Good morning. How are we doing? We doing good? Welcome. We're glad you're here. Thanks for carving out the time. And if you are on the live stream or watching on the internet, we want to welcome you as well. And uh, isn't it great having the youth section full? Awesome. And I just want you guys to know, on behalf of me and the rest of the congregation, we are proud of you for your commitment. The commitments you've made to grow in your faith um, are not normal for youth in this culture. They're countercultural, and we're proud of you. Hold those commitments and keep them. Um, there's a lot of pride, healthy pride, in what you guys are doing and making the commitment and training and then going on the trip, so stick with it. And I just want to say that SMI uh, barbecue is coming up and um, we need your help and support. During transition, there's two things that kind of uh, begin to happen um, that are normal but not okay, and it's in regards to attendance and giving. Um, and so we need to continue to be committed and faithful during this time, especially to support the youth and what they're doing. So get ready to purchase junior high groups at that auction. They're going to come and they're going to work at your house um, and be ready to support the high schoolers as they're going on that trip. They're gonna, we need about $30,000, maybe a little less than that. And God has provided every year through you. Um, and I've been here for 20 years, and early off I'd sweat. I'm like, oh my goodness. And then later I realized, no, God's faithful. And so uh, he's faithful through you. And so we just want to encourage you to be here and support the team, Brock, Chris, and the whole group. They're, they're doing the work to get these guys ready and uh, really challenging them to grow in their faith. So please, get a barbecue ticket today, plan on being here, and support the students. That would be phenomenal. Um, grab your Bibles, let's go to 1 Timothy 5. This can be a challenging text to preach on. Um, last week I was talking with the chairman of our elder board, Lauren, and he said he wasn't going to be here this morning. I'm like, oh, good. Thank you. Makes it a little easier, but I still see a few elders here, Ron and Blake and Bobby and, oh, I'm sorry. Hang on. I, I apologize. Hello? Yeah. Oh, oh, okay. All right. 
any elders that are in here right now, you are needed for an emergency in the youth room. Go ahead. Not going to move, are you? I knew it. Elders, let's jump in and get a little understanding of what is being talked about when the word elder is used. Then we're going to look at the scriptures in 1 Timothy. Paul uses this term elder multiple times throughout Timothy and Titus. It's a term that means overseer. Or elder. And the words for these two are two different Greek words. Episkopoi and presbyteroi. One meaning overseer, one meaning elder. But they're interchangeable. Paul uses them and mixes them up. Overseer, bishop, pastor, elder. The main, the main concept is they're a designated ruler or overseer in the church. We observe all throughout the New Testament, and specifically the pastoral epistles, that Paul interchanges these words for the office of leadership in the church. Pastor, overseer, and elder. They're not different. They, have one, they may have some different ways they play out, but really it's one term. Overseers in the church. Their job is to lead. So as we move through this and the word elder is used, please understand the concept isn't just a board of elders. It's also pastors can be used in this term. This is the orthodox view, the main view that is agreed upon. And that this leadership flows from teaching the word, setting a godly example, and attending to the spiritual state of the congregation or the flock. When I was in seminary, I had to write a couple of papers on leadership and ecclesiology in the church. And in my fallible commentary, the paper was basically in regards to leadership. I defined it as the leader, the elder, the overseer, the pastor has a responsibility based on Timothy and Titus specifically to feed the sheep, shear the sheep, Spank stubborn sheep and shoot the wolves. That's just my exposition of it. I don't remember if I got an A, but I'm not sure. Scriptures in Acts say, Be on guard, leaders and overseers, pastors and elders, for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer to shepherd the church of God, which he Purchased by his own blood. Good leaders are great followers of Jesus Christ. And they inspire the congregation to follow Christ through feeding and protecting and guarding and setting an example. There's a, a level of qualification that is expected for the leaders in the church. And it's so imperative that that mark or that bar is never lowered, that it is kept to protect what the blood of Jesus purchased for the family of God. And the cultural temptations in this area for churches is really hard. 
to follow God's commands and his will from his word. My first job in college was at a large church in the Phoenix or Scottsdale area, the mega church. The pastor was an amazing communicator. I never met him. I served on the maintenance crew. I cleaned bathrooms and set up rooms. And then every once in a while I got to do security for this mega church. We're talking security on Sundays when they're transporting a massive offering five times. I got to kind of walk with that. I got stories that are crazy. And make sure that money got to the safe. And it was one Saturday I was setting up the children's room. This was my first leadership lesson on a great follower of Jesus leader. I'm setting up the children's room, and there was a chart on the wall where how the chairs were supposed to be set up. It was a Saturday. Hundreds of kids were going to be coming into that room the next day. And I'm setting it up, and in walks this pastor. He knows me by name. I never met him before. Hey, Andy, how's it going? My name, we exchanged. He goes, what are you doing? Well, I'm setting up the room. He's like, no, no, why are you doing this? And I was on my heels. I'm 19 years old, 18 years old, and I'm sitting here going, okay, I messed something up. I'm not doing something right. I'm a little nervous because this is the man. He was the top of the food chain in this church. I didn't know anything about him, but what I learned that day was unforgettable. He said, no, Andy, Andy, you're not just setting up this room. You see, tomorrow... It's going to be hundreds of kids are going to come into this room. And the teachers are primed and ready to teach this lesson and to share the gospel and plant seeds of truth in these kids' lives. You're a part of something bigger than just setting up a room. Blew me away. You see, this leader understood the difference between building a castle and building God's kingdom. He wanted people, including the children, including me, to follow Christ. Not to just build this castle where everybody's like, yeah, look, he's the guy. He built the castle. He's a great pastor. He's a great leader. Last year I was at a small conference, and he was the keynote speaker. And I went up and introduced myself. He's like, you looked familiar, but you had hair. <laughs> he didn't forget. He's not in ministry anymore. 40-plus years of a legacy of building it, even though he was a a large public figure in Scottsdale, building into the kingdom of God. That's what he was all about. He was a good pastor because he was a great follower of Jesus Christ. And great followers of Jesus Christ who are leaders want to do whatever it takes short of sin to get anybody else to follow Christ because they understand the eternal ramifications of their calling. good leaders that are great followers of Jesus that are kingdom builders not castle builders but kingdom builders they're like a turtle on a pole you got the visual you're all thinking how did you walk by and you see a turtle on a pole what are you going to think how in the world did the turtle get there he didn't get there by himself God's ult God ultimately raises up leaders for one primary reason within the church. His glory, his kingdom, not our castle. We're like a turtle on a fence pole. When you walk by and you see this, you know somebody else had to put that turtle there. That somebody else is God. He raises up leaders according to his glorious will to expand his glorious kingdom. 
John Maxwell says, a leader is one who knows the way, goes the way, and most important, shows the way to God's glory. You see, the spiritual leader, the elder, the overseer, they're not fulfilling a job. They're fulfilling a calling. Significant difference between profession and calling. Now you need to understand as we jump into this that elders can fulfill different roles. Some are pastors and some are teachers. Some have oversight and ruling in regards to budgets or finances. It plays out in multiple ways, but the standard that's set out doesn't change. That there's a level of godly character that is vetted and proven in the individual's life. And so the concept here that Paul is in regards to writing to Timothy as the leader of the church, he's just set up an established, look, you're leading and you need to lead like a family. How you see people is how you treat people. We talked about that last week. And now he's going to jump into, okay, uh, Timothy, this is how you lead the leaders. This is the core concept of the next section. He's giving clear insight on how Timothy is supposed to lead the leaders. And Timothy is going to listen to Paul because Paul is the bomb at leading leaders. It's proven all throughout the New Testament. As he evangelized Roman Empire from Antioch to Athens, he founded churches and trained leaders. He was very successful with this. He plucked Titus from his home base in Antioch. Timothy he took from Lystra. Tychus from uh, Colossae. Trophimus from Ephesus. He pulled leaders in. And then what he did was he deployed them at the end of his ministry to lead the churches that he'd planted all across the area. And he assigns Timothy to the church in this distorted city called Ephesus. And Timothy listens to this leader on how to lead the leaders, and he gives three imperative insights for leading leaders. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. 1 Timothy 5, starting in verse 17, Paul's first direction is that the leaders, the elders, need to be compensated You need to be compensating the leaders. Let an elder who rule, the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Double honor is translated twofold honor. It's not double pay. That's not what it means, even though, you know, I'd really like to make it mean that. It's not what it means. It's two ways of honoring the elders. First is their position of reverence and respect. That the church needs to honor and respect their pastors. And Timothy, as one of the pastors, one of the elders, one of the leaders, you need to display that to the other leaders as well. And then second is honorarium. It's where the word honor comes from that we talked about earlier last week in regards to honoring widows financially. It's where we get this word honorarium. 
the church must give elders respect and reverence and pay them accordingly. Now, Paul then jumps on and gives two illustrations to support financial support. But he breaks something down before he gives those illustrations in regards to especially those who are preaching and teaching. By the way, this doesn't mean that every elder in the church should be passed or paid or every pastor should be paid. That's not what he's saying. It's, this text is not teaching separate classes of elders where there's two different groups of elders. Not that this doesn't support that. The key in seeing this is this word translated especially, the Greek term melista, which often means, quote, especially. But in the pastoral epistle, some argue that Paul uses the term to mean in particular or namely. And I hold this position. That Paul is saying, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. In particular, I mean those who labor in preaching and teaching. You see, the scriptures give clear weight to the fact that the person who stands up and says, thus says the Lord, is going to be held to a higher standard and account for everything they teach. It's almost like Paul is saying, hey, pay elders what's appropriate, and especially consider those who are going to be held accountable to what they're saying. They're laboring in preaching and teaching the word. This means specifically that the aim of elders, all elders, who rule well, need to grow in teaching and preaching. It's not just a specific job for one elder. As a matter of fact, when you jump into the qualifications of the elder, one of the qualifications is able to teach. And Paul is picking up on this a little bit. It doesn't mean they have to preach or they have to stand up in front of the congregation like we do every Sunday. But the, but the elder specifically is supposed to be able to, in the language, the Greek, able to handle the word of God. Have a good grasp of God's word and be able to defend God's word in private and public conversations in a way that brings honor to the kingdom of God and draws people in to the kingdom of God. This is specifically what Paul is talking about as a general for all elders. But those who stand up and preach deserve double honor. For scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the labor deserves his wage. These are two references from other portions of scripture. The first one is found in Deuteronomy. In the ancient world, threshing was when they would throw the wheat on the ground and the ox would thresh it, stomp on it or pull a board over it to separate the wheat. The law of Moses stipulated to the Israelites to allow the ox to eat the grain while it was threshing. The simple principle here that Paul is saying to Timothy, the simple logic is that an ox is allowed to acquire substance for his labor and so is a pastor. The laborer deserves his wage as a reference from Jesus in Luke chapter 10. Jesus sent out 72 disciples into ministry from, to minister from town to town. He tells them to stay at houses. And those who receive him should eat and drink, here's the quote, what they provide for the laborer deserves his wage. Paul gives clear direction that the 
lead, to lead the leaders, you need to be aware of compensating them with reverence, respect, and an honorarium that is appropriate. And then Paul moves from compensating, which is a positive note, to correcting, which is a negative note. This is a tough one. Right out of college at age 22, I took my first position in a church as an associate pastor. It was a small church. And at that church, I was an elder. I got to sit at the table. I learned a lot. But there's one thing I learned that has driven me to this very day. The effects, the ramifications, the collateral damage, the pain, the agony of an elder who is caught in sin. And I had a front row seat. Still cuts my heart to this very day. excruciating Paul moves from an honorarium to a whole new level again this is this is really complicated the culture does not allow for this fear is that it's great detriment in these moments Paul says don't admit a charge against an elder except the evidence of two or three there's a lot of false charges that get thrown around towards leaders. I've had it happen here where somebody in our church made an accusation about me that wasn't true. You see, the, the thing, one of the things I learned at that first church is that there's no room for anonymity in my life because this elder had anonymity. He kept secrets, and when they came out, it destroyed the church. It destroyed the family. And so I have no anonymity. I fight hard for it. Because I know if I'm put in the right situation, as a pastor standing before you, I'm not on a platform of perfection. I am a target for temptation. The accusation came and I said, go ahead, check. It felt so good. I'm not going to lie. See, I wasn't dealing with the accusation. I had to then deal with my pride. Because I'm a sinner. But it felt good to know, like, look, you could check. I have no secrets. You could talk to my admin. You could talk to my wife. You can look at the internet. You no, this, is, this isn't true. And I'll never forget the Sunday, two weeks later, where that gentleman came up to me, sweating, tearing his eyes. I said, Andy, I'm sorry. I just, I, I heard something, and then I let it run, and rumors flew. And I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? I said, you bet. Don't admit an accusation unless there's a witness. This goes back to Matthew where there's clear direction on how the church is supposed to interact if somebody's caught in sin. He moves on. For those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. This is harsh. Th by the way, this isn't what churches do. In my experience, it isn't. I learned three things from that first church. The elders struggled. Everything fell apart. I'm an associate pastor, and all of a sudden, I'm leading through this in a way I'm not equipped. This was the only time in my life where I was fully pressed to walk away from church for the rest of my life 
because it was so hard. And I wrote three things down in my journal that next year. I was here when I wrote these down. We had come to Denver a year later. First, we, we must remember the integrity of the entire church is at stake, not the feelings of one person. I wrote that in my journal. The church just struggled to rebound from this. The Bible reflects on the serious of sin committed by a spiritual leader. Second, we must remember that the church has a responsibility to maintain consistent examples in obeying God's word no matter what. They didn't bring up this pastor in front of the whole church. It was destructive. My experience was the exact opposite of this. We walked in disobedience to a certain degree. I thought, as through that, that public rebuke of a ministry leader would shake the congregation's trust, and the exact opposite happened. We didn't expose, and the congregation didn't trust. On the contrary, everyone feels reassurance when we obey Scripture. The pain doesn't go away. We're trying to marginalize the pain. It just doesn't work. This is about trust and transparency. And then the third thing I wrote down is we must remember that the purpose for exercising church discipline is not to punish, but to restore. This is what the gospel is all about. Here's the illustration I use to explain this. Maybe this will help, maybe it won't. It's like a plane. The church is like a plane. And the pilot has to have specific certification to fly the plane, right? You can't just say, oh, anybody fly the plane. No, that's dangerous and stupid. But that's different. So the, the pilot's flying the plane. He's like the pastor. And when the pastor sins, he is now, even if the people on the plane don't know it, he's basically fallen out of the plane. You see, when the people fall out of the plane, they get a parachute. It's called grace. They fall and then they sin. They get a pull to shoot. God's grace saves them. But for some reason, pastors don't get the parachute. They have to fall and fall and fall. And then they hit the ground. If you've ever skydived, I haven't, but I've heard about the training. They tell you that when you pull your chute, if it doesn't open, you pull your emergency chute. If it doesn't open, you have about 45 seconds until you hit the ground. And when you hit the ground, you're not going to die. You're going to bounce. This is what they say. That first hitting of the ground, all your bones break. It's excruciating, and it doesn't kill you. You bounce, and it's the second hit that kills you, because then your bones go into your vital organs and kill you. This is like a falling pastor. When he hits the ground, that's when it becomes public. It breaks him down. But the difference is that the pastors are not supposed to hit the ground a second time. How you see people is how you treat people. I'm convicted by this. I'm not saying this from a distance. I've been in the middle of the storm. I know how this goes. I know the collateral damage to fan. We should never, the pastor sins. You rebuke him. It, it has to happen. And then the church is supposed to sweep underneath and keep him from hitting the ground a second time. 
This is imperative to the gospel. I've seen it firsthand and I've heard about it over and over. Fallen pastors and the destruction. If we believe the gospel, nobody is guilty enough to not receive grace. Chuck Swindoll tells this story. I once supported a pastor friend as he faithfully carried out public discipline on a once trustworthy leader in the church. It was dreadful. The fallen leader had been a well-known Christian figure in the community, so his sin made the news. After the, past, after the pastor rebuked his friend publicly and removed him from his leadership post, the man walked away from God. He remained angry with the Lord and bitter towards the church for several years. Then he turned. He wrote a letter of apology to the church, admitted to his pastor, you were right, I was in sin. You called me out, and instead of repenting, I rebelled. He carefully, or he fully repented. Chuck Swindoll goes on to say, I'm glad to say the church received the man with open arms. In fact, he th they threw a party. Welcoming the brother back into the fellowship. It was a wonderful evening of praise, and that made the news too. That's how it's supposed to be. Two big pastors in the city where I was serving took that fallen elder, and they, they called me and said, we're going to restore him. I said, restore him? What? R restore him how? Back to the pulpit? Back to being a pastor or, or to God? I Andy, just settle down. I wrestled with this. Again, I'll, I'm 22 years old. And after 10 years, Davis Cooper called me up, and he was then retired, and he said, Andy, we just, we feel like that pastor's been restored. I was struggling with it. And he got called, and he's back to a church, and he's serving in a church as a pastor and doing gospel ministry. It's unbelievable. I have different feelings and opinions, and, and, and that's fine. Ten years later, he's doing gospel ministry. I'm in this church. And somebody comes up to me and goes, hey, do you know this guy? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, man, what happened now? He's like, well, he's pastoring in this small town, and, and I, I grew up in that town. Like, my dad and family went to that church, and my brother, he walked away from the Lord years ago. Now, all of a sudden, he's back to church, and this man has led him to the Lord, and he's just going to church every week, and he's growing. It's like, okay, God, your grace is sufficient. It's about serving to build a kingdom, not a castle. Paul goes on and says, in the, this is going to take courage, by the way. This is, this is hard. Paul knows it. That's why he says to Timothy, he kind of puts the screws to him here and like says, if you even think about backing out on this deal, just remember, the kingdom that you're building has a sovereign king. In the presence of God and of Christ, 
and the elect angels. He just throws that in there too, just for some added weight. I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging. Do nothing from partiality. It doesn't matter who, when, why, where, and how. Love God more than anything else. The kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ rests on transparency and truth and grace. Paul's primary concern is the integrity of the bride of Christ, the church. He's not concerned so much about the church's reputation in the community. Paul basically says, Timothy, investigate thoroughly. Discipline publicly when needed. And don't ever administrate partiality. So he talks about compensating, he moves to correcting, and then finally, his last insight is consecrating, elevating. Don't be hasty to lay hands on, to say this person is called to be an elder. Don't be quick to this. Be very slow to do this. Nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourselves pure. Paul warned that failure to show or do due diligence will result in Timothy sharing in the sins of others. There's this word in scripture called koinonia. It's, it's this word that talks about supernatural love that the people of God have together. And Paul's saying, look, this is the opposite. He's unwinding that whole thing. It's false. Don't take part in this. Be very slow to elevate an elder. There's a lot I could say about that, but I think we get the basic idea. And if there are any elders in here, once in a while, it's okay to have some NyQuil. Was that random and weird? It's almost like in the middle of this text, Paul gets ADD. He starts talking about alcohol. What is he doing here? There's more alcohol in NyQuil than a shot of whiskey. Do you know that? I know that because I'm a pastor. I'm not, you know, I grew up in a culture, a very legalistic culture, where pastors can't drink. If I can have NyQuil, I call it Scotch Quill or Pastor's Scotch. And I only have it when my stomach is upset or I can't sleep. He doesn't have ADD. I think what Paul is doing here, and this is kind of the broad consensus from most scholars, is that Timothy, he's given this, this insight on how to lead the leaders, and the leaders from earlier in the chapter are being legalistic. And they're saying, you can't eat this, and you can't drink this, and, and Timothy's trying to be above reproach, and, and, and Paul's saying, look, settle down. It's okay to have a little bit of wine when you have a upset stomach. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be legal. Fulfilling the law isn't going to get you to God. And so he throws this plug in there. And then he closes off and says, the sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are cannot be hidden. You see, what he's saying is some people sin openly, so their true character will be no surprise in final judgment. Others, however, project such an impressive image that everyone will be shocked at final judgment when they're revealed or their secrets are revealed. Deeds, on the other hand, is what Paul is addressing here. 
speak for themselves these deeds. Good deeds are just as evident as open sins to the sinner. We cannot see a man's soul to assess his character, but we can observe their deeds. We can see how they live life. This takes time. My favorite pastor to read is John Owens, and he says this, A minister may fill his pews, his communion roll, the mouths of the public, but that minister who is on his knees in secret before God is the true minister. How do you lead the leaders? Paul breaks it down. Compensation, correction, consecration. Lead the leaders so that you can lead the flock to walk in light. That the elders and the overseers need to be above reproach so that the gospel comes out in their good deeds and in their lives for people to see. And it changes and invites other people in to truth and transparency. This past week, I had lunch with a student who grew up in this church, Matt Scrabeck. Many of you know him. And uh, he's a pastor in the Bay Area now. He served at the church in Denver that Heidi and I got married at. He has experienced early in his ministry like I did, fallen pastors. We had a wonderful conversation about walking in light and leading other people to walk in light. You see, this message is for elders in the church, but it's for you guys walk in the light so that you can grow up to lead the church. It's for anybody. We all struggle with sin, but we're called by the gospel to walk in the truth and in light. John 12 says this, Jesus replied and said, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in light while you can, so darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in darkness cannot see where they're going. Put your trust in the light. Put your trust in Jesus. Then you will become children of light. It's about truth and transparency. Set yourself up. Walking out of darkness, whatever it is in your life that keeps you from true shalom, we talked about last week. Surrender to Jesus and allow yourself to find peace and satisfaction. The darkness is going to lie to you every time and say, you want to be satisfied? Do this, believe this, say this. Jesus came and said, that's never going to satisfy. He came to redeem us to walk in the light. And his grace is the parachute that keeps us from dying. And it changes the way we live. That we don't want to be in darkness. And we began as followers of Jesus Christ to follow our leaders, to give them reverence and respect and to follow their model into the kingdom of God. Will you stand as we close in prayer? Father, again, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. I pray for our leaders in this church. Thank you for them. Thank you for their love for you. Thank you for the grace they've accepted. Lord, protect them, lead them, guide them to continue to walk in light so that we can follow their example in loving you and loving others.
Thank you again for your grace that changes our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen.